Okay, I've got to do another one of these before we begin, because we're going to get real serious in a minute. So, This one is particular of all the... In fact, if you, if you have any of these you'd share with me, I, I, I'm delighted to, uh, to take them from you. But this particular one is uh, concerning a, um, a, a young Marine. Everybody with me? A young Marine and his commanding officer who were headed through the mountains of Switzerland. And, of course, they were going to board a train in order to go further. On the train, they discovered there were only two seats available, both of them directly across and facing a beautiful young lady and her grandmother. Well, as the train started out, eventually it passed through a tunnel and it was pitch dark. There was the sound of the smack of a kiss followed by the sound of the smack of a slap. The grandmother was sitting there thinking to herself, it was very brash of that young soldier to kiss my granddaughter, but I'm glad she slapped him. The commanding officer was sitting there thinking, I didn't know the young Marine was brave enough to kiss the girl, but I sure wish she hadn't missed him when she slapped and hit me. The young woman was sitting there thinking, I'm glad the soldier kissed me, but I wish my grandmother had not slapped him. The young Marine sat back with a satisfied smile on his face. He thought to himself, life is good. When does a fellow have the chance to kiss a pretty girl and slap his commanding officer all at the same time? <laughs> Dumb. I love it, though. <laughs> okay. Did you pick up on what we've covered so far? You say, Ray, what have we covered? And that is that when life gets difficult, we have a right to talk to the Lord about it. And that's the communication system and part of what we're talking about. Notice now, part B underneath that, close to the bottom of page one, this unique system, it does a number of different things. First of all, it brings God's authority to bear on a situation. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he did what? Oh, he prayed again, and the heaven did what? gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Prayer also is an element concerning temptation. It delivers us from temptation, the scripture says. For the scripture says in Matthew 26, verse 41, it says, watch and, and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is, is weak. Now, if you want to write down Romans 7, beginning with verse 14, going to the end of the chapter. And most of you are probably well familiar with this verse of Scripture, but it bears repeating. It's where Paul says this, The things I want to do, I don't. The things that I don't want to do, I always find myself doing. How many understand what Paul's saying right there? All right, let's go. I mentioned this before, but let's go a step further with it. How many understand this? That is the point of intense, oftentimes, guilt and condemnation for anybody that really wants to serve the Lord. It's at that point where you start to get torn apart. It's at that point where you wonder, you know, am I, am I, am I worth anything to God? And then when you get into this self-worth thing, am I worth anything to anybody else? Now, I want you to follow real careful on this, because if I can convince you of what I'm about to talk about right now, all the time you spend today will be worth just this moment. All the time you spend this afternoon, which you had other things to do, and tomorrow night as well. When we start to question self-worth, we start to get in on this thing, it leads eventually to self-pity. And you'll find nothing more damaging to yourself, almost nothing in life that can destroy 
the human entity as fast as self-pity. And boy, it hits in just numbers of different ways. I've got four of the loveliest kids in the world. But when I had trouble with two of my daughters, especially in times past, and then all of a sudden I find somebody that hasn't any problems with their kids, then what is it? Well, I didn't raise them right, did something wrong, and all it goes into what? Guilt, condemnation, and then, Lord, why am I having the trouble? And we're into self-pity. Or neglect. I can't tell you how many times. I think it happened today already. And I'm sure the person that did it, and it was to another person, I just observed it happening, didn't mean it. But somebody walks right past you and doesn't greet you. It's kind of like, you know, you're looking at me, you know, and would expect me to greet, and I just kind of go, you know. The point at this point is, what's going on in this guy? What's going on inside of me? And almost always there's a misinterpretation unless there is already some kind of a problem between the two people. But most of it has to do with uh, speculation or assumption. And that's why the Bible actually teaches, do not assume anything. Now, let me show you where that's found in Scripture, because we never did finish 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Here's what it says in verse 3 again. Everybody with me? Okay. For though we, remember this one? For though we walk in the flesh, we do not what? Wage war according to the flesh. The weapons. Did you get started on weapons? I would like to add to the weapons. I believe that audible verbal praise is a weapon. And the reason I believe that is if you study demonology, you begin to understand that demons hate praise because they want attention. And when you and I give attention to God, they hate it. They absolutely hate it. And boy, they just leave. I've seen congregations where people begin to just say, blessed be the name of the Lord, praise the Lord. And you can tell there's a difference. I believe sometimes just singing the songs that we sing as praise to the Lord bothers demon spirits. Now that might be carrying you kind of far for some of you. But folks, I'm interested in overcoming. And I'm willing to step out on the word. If, if it's wrong, then God prove me wrong, if you will. It goes on to say the weapons. I believe unity is a powerful weapon. You get a church unified and it can be a powerful source that God can use in this world to change the world. Now, they're mighty for pulling down strongholds. When I saw this word stronghold in Scripture, like I saw the word weapon, I wanted to know, okay, what are the weapons? If there's weapons, I want to be able to, to use them. What I discovered was that when I found the weapons, began to use them, so much of the emotional trouble that I was having over here under the subject of fear began to dissipate was worth every ounce of effort that I went into the study of these things because I, I got pretty overloaded with this kind of stuff. Teaching high school, all kinds of stuff that I did, and it got to the point where it just, at, at, at almost critical mass sometimes in some of our lives, and it hit critical mass for me at one particular point. And when I shut down, I didn't really shut down. I was going to try, I was going to go through it because I'm pretty strong in character. But what it did is it so affected my body, I wound up in the hospital. And the nurse told me, she said, you just about didn't make it. What happened is I just started to dehydrate because of the ways that I was trying to get through the problem and so forth. And, and uh, so it was kind of a shutdown. Well, the more I understand about weaponry now, the easier it is to overcome those elements of emotional difficulty over here. Are you with me on this? 
right? Also, that's weaponry now. But also, it's good to understand what strongholds are. Now, I've in my study, I came up with about 140, a little over 140 different strongholds. And the reason for this is I want to know what is a potential problem in my life. Worry is a stronghold. Depression is a stronghold. Anger that turns to rage is a stronghold. Pornography is a stronghold. Lust is a stronghold. And I listed over 140 different ones. And then what I did, after I listed them, I think, listed them at one particular point, it was a time when I took the list later on. I think maybe the first time I went through and I checked them and I said, yeah, I have a problem here, a little bit of a problem there. This one here could use some, you know. And it was just some I didn't have problems with. And as I went through and I listed some of these, I think I went back later on. And what's beautiful about the things of the Lord when you get into the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship is that you can see these things begin to be removed out of your life. And that, my friend, is so important. These are things that we may not think about, but they're nevertheless real. goes on to say then, down in verse 5, talks about casting down arguments. Your Bible may say imaginations. Doing what? Casting down thought processes that are not right is what it means. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing what into captivity, by the way? Every thought. Here it is. The mind is the battlefield. I have to bring every thought into captivity. And in order to do that, now I don't know if you write in your Bible, I write in mine. I wrote, assume nothing. Two words. Assume nothing. So if somebody walks past me and they don't say anything, I will not assume a single thing until I know absolutely for sure that it's true. Now, I can tell you this for sure. If you will do over the next seven days what I'm talking to you right now about, you will eliminate a great percentage or at least some percent of some of the anxiety if you have that in your own life or worry or whatever. So what is it that you do? All right. Here's what happens. As I go through a day, I analyze, and I'm not just constantly thinking about it. And you can even pray, Lord, help me to see it. Help me to recognize or whatever. And so what I want to do is to make sure now I'm analyzing what's going through my mind. If it's not true, then I refuse to think about it. Boy, it works big time. Now, here's a bit of a problem, though. And that is the human mind is geared in such a way as well as the enemy knows how to hit the human mind. Don't have time to get into this um, on spiritual warfare. Maybe someday I can come back and just teach on the subject alone. But we're entering into a spiritual warfare dynamic, whether it's got to do with the demon, and I believe it does, when you cannot get a thought out of your mind. Let me see if you resonate with this. How many have had thoughts and you thought, well, I'm not going to think about that in the next moment? Boy, it just hits again. And it's kind of like, no, I'm not going to. And it hits again. and just keeps hitting. That's where I have a tendency now to go to my weapons. It's a matter of I refuse this in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is a powerful weapon as well. The blood of Jesus cleanses me. I refuse this. And sometimes it just keeps hitting harder. What I found is you just keep after it by using the weapons. And after a while, whether it was a demon or not, it doesn't make any difference, folks. We're interested in getting set free. It's not exactly whether we can actually spot by discernment this or that. It's getting free, which becomes the issue. I want to be free of negativism as well. I want to be free of bitterness. I want to be free of criticism. 
Now, here's something personal about my life. I'm ashamed to admit it, but I just want to thank the Lord for it. And that is that I didn't realize I was doing it, but I evaluated every single thing that came my way. If you ask me about some kind of a program on television, it was almost an instantaneous evaluation as to whether I liked it or not. If you talked about another person, it went through my mind, just an instantaneous evaluation. And, you know, if you'd have said, you know, uh, Ray, just learn to do it this way so we can understand where you're coming from. Put it as 0 to 10, you know. So anytime we're talking about a program. Okay, we're going to talk about um, time travel. In my mind, it's a 10, you know, because I really like it. Now, for some of your, your gals, Tom Brady. For me, that's a 10. For my wife, that's a close to zero, probably. Say, who's Tom Brady? Star football player. Oh, my land. Whoa. Randy Johnson. Ten. Anybody have Randy Johnson as a ten? Who's Randy Johnson? He's a pitcher for the Diamondbacks. And I want to go, powerful pitcher. So some of you gals are saying what? Minus ten? Sure, okay. All right, now my wife is different than me. If you say scrapbooking to my wife, ten. Ten. And one of the reasons for it is my wife uh, works for about 15 different scrapbooking magazines. She is a national, she works for, she's a designer for, you pick up magazines today, uh, Good Housekeeping, some, uh, one of their uh, scrapbook magazines or Family Circle, and you'll find in one issue for Family Circle, I mean, she's in that, she's in just, con she's probably published, I would estimate now, about 600 times, maybe, five to 600 times. And so say scrapbooking to, to Linda. What? Ten. Say it to me. Not even close to two. <laughs> Except for one reason, and that is I love my wife, so I force a two out of it. <laughs> so we leave for the road coming up very, very soon, meaning simply um, we, we start traveling on Wednesday or Thursday of next week. Our first meeting is in Springfield, Oregon. Second meeting is in Portland. Third meeting, meeting is over in Eagle, Idaho. And all that way, and even this morning on the way to church, you see, she, had, she went someplace just for a little while, so she'll be back in a few moments. But I can speak so freely right now that I'm going to spend a tremendous amount of time until she walks through that door. But this morning, I was trying to have a sensible husband-to-wife conversation with her, and she's holding her, 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 her telephone, which has email on it, and she keeps trying to have a conversation, and she's kind of going like this, you know. And I'm bugged. I am really bugged. One, not even a two. And if you're catching the point now, you know, as we zero in on different things in life, and we have interest in some of those things, well, let me get back to the original thing, and that is that the human mind is what? It's the battlefield. It's the battlefield. It's one of the reasons why. When, when people will come and they'll say, Ray, I have bad thoughts going through my mind, I want to go, no big deal. If, you've, if you're a Christian... That's pretty normal. But you have weapons in order to minimize that. And simply because the thought comes doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you at all wrong with you. Nothing, nothing. But here's what it could mean, though. And that is that if you begin to follow that thought, you're going to be in trouble. I used to think about robbing banks. 
I don't remember why. But it was a matter of I thought that I was smart enough to get away with it, maybe. And I don't really think very much along this line. I'll guarantee you that. But I'm using an illustration because I don't know any other illustrations that come to mind right now. But is that fair enough, close enough? All right. So I'm thinking about robbing banks. The potential for robbing a bank, at least for some minds, is if you keep thinking about it, eventually you could get very close or you could actually do it. So if you think about adultery and you do not arrest that in your mind, and it could become a potential, I'll tell you what, if you don't want to do it, don't think about it. But again, the thought has a tendency to do what? Keep coming back. And this is where the weapons of our warfare now are not carnal. This is why we need the blood of Jesus. This is why we need worship. This is why we need praise. This is why we need the house of the Lord. This is why we need each other. I need to be able to say to you, I'm having trouble. To a brother or sister, not a sister so much, as I kind of like counsel to be with my brothers and you girls have them with your sisters and so forth. Are you with me on that? To be able to do what we're doing this afternoon and to say, you're normal, probably more than you think you are. But if you don't know that the rest of us are going through these things, then the enemy is going to set you up, and you're the one, ultimately, that is not as good as the rest of us. And I want to say, you buy into that, and I'll tell you what, you're just going to be in a misery because you're as good as anybody else in the body of Christ when it comes to the relationship that we have in Jesus through the blood of Jesus. Are you with me on that? And so now I want to grow from that point on. Not allowing... Pride to come in saying, I'm better than somebody else. And so assume nothing. Where are we at? Let's keep going here for a minute. Okay. Delivers from what again? Bottom of page one. Temptation. It leads to deliverance from demons. However, Jesus says, after the disciples have gone out, using Christ's authority to cast out demons, they come back and they say, you know, we've seen demons cast out. It's been wonderful, but we hit one and he wouldn't budge. Remember the story. How many remember the story? Okay, here, here's what Jesus says. He said, this kind doesn't come out except by what? Prayer and fasting. I'm convinced of this. Jesus is not saying, you've hit a difficult point in your life or somebody else's life in helping them get set free. It's time you better head for the hills, head for your closet, head for church and start praying. I believe Jesus is saying this, and that is prayer and fasting need to be a regular part of our lives if we're going to have a significant amount of strength to be able to, to actually literally deal with very, very tough situations as far as the demonic is concerned. Now, let me, I brushed up on the demonic. I've been trying very careful to make sure that we don't go too far into that subject because that's not the point this week. But I think most of you would agree on this. If, you've ever, if you're really into prayer, and that is that the demonic becomes more real the more you get into prayer, the more you get committed to the things of the Lord, the more you're willing to make another step with Jesus. I mean, just some of you in this room, when you move from the step of just even beginning to tithe, was a monstrous spiritual step of which the enemy probably hits you real good. Paul, is that correct? And then all of a sudden... And He's going like this. I'm not picking on Paul. It's just a matter. But I like the name Paul because he was an apostle. It just... Okay, but if you understand what I'm saying, the enemy has the ability to hit the human mind. Most of you would agree. Let, let me just give you a story, just see how you resonate. I, I was a high school teacher back at this particular time, and a, and a guy came to me and he said, I, I want to talk to you. And I had some time during the day, and uh, I thought he just wanted counsel. So we went out and got in my car, 
and started to drive. I hadn't driven probably 150 yards or so down the road that ultimately would lead to the church in which I attended. And he said, as I'm driving now, this man sitting next to me in the car, he said, I want to go down to the church. He knew where I went to church. He said, I want to go down to the church. He said, I want to wrestle with you. I'm stronger than you are. And I'm kind of going, I don't quite get that one. Because I weighed about 60 pounds less than I weigh right now, or, or so, 50 pounds or something like that. And folks, I'm just not interested in beating anybody up. And I'm really not interested in getting beat up. But he kept it up. I'm stronger than you are. I can beat you. He just kept going. I got down where I had to make a decision, either make kind of a right turn and go across the street and into the church parking lot, or make a left turn and get out of there. I made the left turn, but he was still with me, unfortunately. I drove probably a half a mile or so. Finally, I pulled the car off to the side of the road. Uh, I want to protect his name at this particular moment, and so uh, let's call him Mike. I particularly like the name Mike. I, I'm sitting in the car on the side of the road with this man, and he's been saying these strange things to me. And uh, I turned to him, and I, I, and I said something to the effect of, Mike, what in the world's going on? And he turned back, and he said, my name is not Mike. He said, I'm going to get you. I'm out to get you, and I'm going to get you. And then he began to rattle off things about my life, as I mentioned a little while ago. No human being could possibly know. He just had a, an entire case file on me personally. My wife couldn't know these things. My parents couldn't know these things. And then, being a young Christian at the time, I just, it was a matter of, you know, I'd heard about Jesus casting out demons, and I'm right in front of one that I know this is a demon, and I said to the demon, I said, you're coming out of him in the name of Jesus. And he flashed back at me, he said, I'm not coming out of him in the name of Jesus or any other name. You see, I had been taught, I don't know what you've been taught about this stuff, that demons couldn't even say the name of Jesus. They can say the name of Jesus all day long. They don't want the person involved to begin to call upon the name of Jesus because that's going to be their deliverance. And boy, when he said that, it was a matter of, I didn't know what to do. So I got the car going again. <laughs> I headed for my pastor's house about as fast as I could go. I can still remember shooting into the driveway, jumping out of the car, running into my pastor's house, yelling, I've got a demon-possessed man in my car. That's no good way to get your pastor's afternoon started. I don't Clue you in on that. Just don't do that. Now, I remember Pastor Hobson came out, and he hadn't basically, I think, anything to do with demons ever, or very little. And he took a look at this guy, no question. That story ends five hours later, when Mike was set free. I knew nothing about getting people set free, but the Holy Spirit did. My pastor, another pastor, and myself, all there at the same time, began to pray with Mike. And Mike accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and the demon left. Mike turned out to be a pastor of a church very similar to this church. And for the next 15 years, pastored. And I'm going, he went to Bible school. And I'm going, that's Mary Magdalene's same testimony. And then I lost track of him. About five years ago now, maybe six I got a Christmas card, I think it was, from his, from his wife, but his name wasn't on the return address. And boy, I started to get a little, I thought, man, I've got to track this guy down. And so I finally found a phone number, called, he answered the phone, and it was basically, a, you know, that's his wife's return address. I'm still serving Jesus after all these years. Folks, that's what it's all about, it's getting free. And perhaps you have people free, you wouldn't want to call it a, or bound, you might not want to call it a demon, but I don't care whether it's alcoholism. I don't care what it happens to be called. People want to be set free today. 
and I've got enough information, enough working with the, the medical community and working with people from a clinical standpoint to know that I do believe this. There is some help that is affordable. I'm not against medications and all of those kinds of things necessarily, but only Jesus can really set somebody free. Only Jesus. He's the deliverer. All power is given unto him both in heaven and on earth. A little bit further. Part B. This unique system brings peace to the human heart. Be anxious for nothing. All right? Since God put this scenario together, not rabies, and that the number one problem is what? Fear. Fear. Genesis chapter 3. Number two problem? Pride. Pride. Genesis chapter 3. Then God speaks to what he has already been teaching us, and that's where he says, through Paul the Apostle, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication, by every, but in everything by, by, all I'm trying to do, I'm trying to be funny or facetious, I'm just trying to emphasize, prayer is so important to us today. Some statistics indicate, listen carefully, some statistics indicate the average Christian prays less than 60 seconds a day, and the average pastor prays less than six and a half minutes a day. Now, that's not to say or to condemn but I would say, personally, that if I'm not in touch with my commander, I'm not going to carry out very well my responsibilities as a good soldier. And Jesus is the captain of our salvation. So when I start looking at New Testament scriptures, boy, I'll tell you, things start to come together just amazingly. He's the captain of our salvation. I need to be in touch with the captain. And so that's what prayer is all about. Helps in preaching the gospel, number five. You can read some of these later. Helps in determining God's will. I believe God has a will for my life. I believe God has a will from your li for your life. Let me put it this way. I believe God has a plan for our lives in the days ahead. Now, here's where I'm not sure, Pastor Greg, help me with my eschatology, but I'm, I, we've already, he and I have already talked about this, so I think we're, we're pretty safe on this. I believe Jesus is coming again. Okay? Uh, I believe that there is a tribulation period just prior to the coming of Jesus. I don't know how to put it together because I've listened to every argument that I think is possible as to how you put it together. I'm not interested in the argument. I'm interested in being faithful to the king in the process of time, no matter how he puts it together. So don't bother to come and say, I believe it this way or that way, because it's a matter of I'll just yawn in your face and say, I'm sorry, but I'm just not interested in this. I'm interested that you and I become good soldiers of the king, however it happens to be put together, and always ready at every moment. And I think that should suffice for no matter how you put your eschatology together. I hope so, at least. And so when we look at these things, and we look at the condition of our world, and we have a lot of people in America, Christians that is, and perhaps some of you folks that are saying, as we get closer to the end of times, things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. I'm not sure that the Bible actually teaches it quite that way, though I think that that basic, is a basic truth. Here's why I'm concerned. Things have been getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse in America, but huge numbers of people are coming to Christ in China right now. It's estimated 30 to 80,000 people are coming to know Jesus every single day in China alone. So you start looking at it, and I know that the evangelical element of the Seventh-day Adventist church is not quite the same as it is in some other aspects of Christianity. But just let me give you some of the things that are happening out there. Chinese people are beginning to serve Jesus. 
in such a big way, it's absolutely amazing as to what's taking place. Brazil, South America, same thing. Places in Africa, same thing. Uh, Uganda, some years ago, was a wretched place. In fact, uh, <laughs> you know, don't take this as theology, but just kind of if you, if you can if you want, but I don't care if you do. I, I was praying for Uganda 25 years ago. And I believe in praying for national leaders. I pray for George Bush. I pray for leaders whether I like them or not. Because the Bible says to do so. And so I was praying for Edie Amin, and my prayer went something like this. Dear God, kill him. <laughs> Have you ever prayed something and then a few minutes later thought that might not be right? So you ram your prayer in reverse as fast as you can possibly do so for fear that somehow or another... you. Your great faith would cause God to do something before he thought about it. I ran that baby in reverse and started all over again. You know, dear God, save him. But that didn't seem to make any sense either. Not that God couldn't save Edie Amin. But I began to pray as I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to pray. See, how was that? The prayer wasn't important. The Bible says we know not how to pray as we ought. Here's the point. You may not know how to pray for anything. Don't worry about it. Because my kids, and especially now my grandkids, they come to Grandpa and they don't know anything about anything. Grandpa and, and my son, we're teaching them about baseball and football and all this kind of stuff. We're teaching them. And the, God is saying to us in the Word, I want to teach you. So don't be strained. But some of you were strained when you went from the 6th grade to the 7th grade. Because you didn't think that you could handle the 7th grade. Where are you? How many were afraid when you just went from one thing to another thing? It just scared you to death. And God's saying to us today, do not be afraid. Because here's what I want to happen. I, I want you to recognize that I'm your father, I'm your dad. And I want you to feel comfortable around me. I'll teach you. And that's why the scripture says, we know not how to pray as we are. But the Holy Spirit does what? He instructs us. He teaches us. Now, I want you to turn with me to... I'm laying foundation. We're going to really get into this tomorrow night, especially, into this much, much more than we are right now, into the prayer part. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Verse 1. Everybody got a Bible? Here we go. Matthew 24, verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Let me be a little facetious right now, but there's a point involved. These guys are going, Wow! Look at the size of that rock and how carefully it fits with the other rock. Man! That is absolutely phenomenal. Look. And Jesus goes, it's all going to come down in you. No, he didn't do it that way. There was not a negative element in Jesus whatsoever, ever, while he walked the face of the earth. You can count on that. What it was is a matter of, guys, as you see things today, they're not always going to be that way. And you can sense a tenderness in his teaching, and he's saying, listen, that thing is going to come down. Not in order to scare them, not in order to somehow or another brag about his... None of those things. But he says this, and later now, when they're alone, verse 3, Now as they sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, alone with Jesus. Boy, that's significant. 
Because that's what a lot of prayer is. It's me getting alone, you getting alone with God. I pray with my wife, but I still want to get alone with God all by myself. I pray with other Christians. I used to, Pastor and I, and I and a couple other people prayed together. I really, 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 really like that, Greg. Thank you so much. There's a lot of pressure when we come to do services like this. That was a release from a lot of pressure that was on my life when you prayed with us. It was just a tremendous release that comes. You say, why? I don't even know. I just know there's something very, very special about people praying together. And it happened in pastor's office this morning, and it was what I needed. I just absolutely needed that. I wasn't thinking I needed it. But when pastor began to pray, it was a matter of, you can just go, because it does something. I'm talking to you now about your personal private prayer life. So they're privately with him, and they say, tell us, when will these things be, and what will what, what, will what be? What will be the, the sign of your coming? So there's two questions now. They're asking, tell us when will these things be? What things? The destruction of the temple, which happened in AD 70. That thing came down. Now they're asking, and the sign of your coming, and of what? The end of the age. The irony right now is that an awfully lot of people, and I, I mean, I want to emphasize this, a lot of people are talking about the end of the age. The Mayan calendar is December 21st, the year 2012, and there are people that believe that's the last day on the face of the earth because the smartest mathematicians probably in the history of our world were Mayans. And their calendar was incredibly accurate. The last day on the Mayan calendar, December 21st, 2012. And, of course, in China, the same thing, just different places. You say, Ray, do you believe that? <laughs> I'm not here to set dates. I'm here to encourage you to pray. I don't know. No, 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 no. Let me put it this way. This is my theology. When I'm having a tough day, come, Lord Jesus. When I'm having a great day, just a little longer, please, Jesus. It's depending upon what I go through as to how... I would like to see the Lord come. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name. Uh, David Koresh, Jim Jones, saying, I am the Christ. Miranda, right now out of Florida. All right, let me. Th this will set you on edge a little bit, but I hope not. There are probably literally in the thousands of churches today in America where men and women have set themselves up as the Messiah. They're everywhere in America. They do it in numbers of ways. They don't necessarily say, as Miranda in Florida, I am the Christ, but they'll say enough things to make you to believe that they were. Jim Jones, no, 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 no. David Koresh, Waco, Texas. How many remember that? He proclaimed himself to be the second Messiah and deceived huge numbers of people. These people do. The deception today goes something like this. They set themselves up as somebody that is a representative of God so that that representative is speaking the voice of God, not just from the scriptures, but personally as well. So here's where it goes. It goes something like this. If you leave this church and go to another church, you will die and go to hell. And boy, I'll tell you, you talk to these people afterwards that have gotten even the truth now, and they go to some other church, oftentimes they're still bound so badly so badly, but you rejoice in seeing him get the truth set free. That's happening today. You'll hear wars and rumors of wars since 1850, and actually in the 19th century, never in the history of our world have we had wars like we've got today. 210 different geographical places on the planet, nations and so forth, almost every single nation on the planet is involved in war right now. It goes a little bit further. 
goes down, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilences. Africa is going through one of the worst pestilences ever in the history of, of Africa. Probably a good two-thirds, at least one, perhaps as much as two-thirds of Africa is being inundated by grasshoppers now, locusts. It's taking out a huge amount of their crops and it's bringing on powerful elements of starvation. And, you know, you, you've probably heard of some of these things, but just casually you get a little piece of it here and there. If you follow up on it, this is horrendous stuff. Uh, folks, I, I've quit watching a lot of television lately because it's just it's so discouraging. So I've just gone to watching news. <laughs> How many understand what I just said? You know? Okay, here's the point. I... I I, I do have trouble with I watch news because I want to stay up with what, but not for a whole lot of it, because news only reports negative. Do you understand what that means? It only reports negative, and by the way, seldom is accurate. Seldom, other than the, 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 the header, the news header, seldom is accurate. The, the other thing is that I watch uh, quite a bit of the Discovery Channel and the History Channel and things like that, just kind of keeping up because I'm a history buff. I love it. Here's what the world is saying right now. There's about a dozen different things that are pointing to what the world says is the end of the age. Let me just start naming some. Earthquakes like we've never had in the history of our world. Wars like we've never had in the history of our world, basically. After Katrina, never had the weather patterns ever like we had and are now having. If you've been watching news since Katrina, you'll know this. There have been whole cities wiped off the face of the map in America that are seldom even coming to the headlines today. News on the radio this morning when we came here. Uh, Mississippi, Arkansas, they went through about five different states that are being devastated this very minute in America. Devastated by rain. Huge floodings, lives lost. Or what about this one? Anybody heard of a polar shift? It's where all of a sudden the inside core of the earth begins to rotate and the outside core doesn't follow so that the north pole comes down to the equator or whatever and instantaneously everybody dies. Well, what about this one? And that is the earthquakes that we didn't think were possible because we didn't know a few years ago of some of the cauldrons that exist, 40 of them basically, that now have the ability to destroy the world. Number one cauldron in the world, where is it? Yellowstone. Uh, the diameter of the top of that potential volcano is about 40 miles across. It's not if it explodes, it is what? When it explodes. Uh, what about the bird flu? H how much more do I need to say before I... If I got you convinced right now? Never in the history of the world, scientists are basically saying these things. Never in the history of tsunamis and so forth. Okay, let's go on a little bit further. No, let's not. Let's back up a little bit. I skipped a little bit of verse 6 on purpose. Now let's go back to verse 6. And you will hear of what? Wars and rumors of wars. Now I want you to take these next six words home with you today. See that you are not troubled. Alarmed. Take them home. My wife and I were terribly alarmed today when we came. Gas was $3.73, and we're just getting ready to go on the road. And by the way, we're not supported by an organization. All of our support comes from people like you. So if you don't give this week, I don't buy gas.
I'll pay my house payment kind of a thing. So can you see how I would be alarmed? Because if you don't, you know, I mean, if it's God's people, we're missionaries to, uh, to, to America is what we are. Actually, this, now this is to be a little bit humorous, so just hold on. Just, this, I'm just trying to lighten up a little bit. We were born and raised in another country, my wife and I were. It's called Washington State. <laughs> and God sent us as missionaries to California. Go to Macedonia. I want you to take these six words. How many are going to obey what I'm saying right now? You're going to obey. Take them home. See that you are not troubled. That's the word of the Lord to you. Say it with me. See that you're not troubled. Say it again. See that you're not troubled. Gas hits 450 a gallon. See that you're not troubled. You lose your job. See that you're not troubled. The bird flu strikes America, killing a thousand people, two thousand and three thousand. See that you're not troubled. You say, Ray, I don't believe in some of these things. 1917, 1916, 17 and 18, millions of people were killed worldwide. I think it was millions in America were killed because of the bird flu. One of the flu strains, anyhow. And what does the Bible say? Okay, now it does say something else here, but I'm not going to go into it for lack of time. It says, for all these things must come to pass, but what? The end is not yet. Now, I, I think I know what that means, but it's not important for today. What's important right now? <laughs> I like you guys. Okay, a little bit further, and then we're going to take a 10-minute break and, uh, and do something else. We'll come back and finish some more of this. Okay, number seven, prayer alleviates suffering, at least to some degree that we... Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Number eight, prayer sanctifies food. I, I remember when I was a, a younger Christian that I, I didn't like to pray in public, bow my, my head in McDonald's. Does anybody do that here besides me? Now, here, here's, here's a couple things. First of all, you get with some Christians that are so radical that when they do pray in public, they're really preaching a sermon. They want everybody, including the people in the kitchen, to hear what you said. And I want to say, dumb. That's, we're not there to preach a sermon. We're there to do what? That moment. Sure. And I think it's appropriate. Lynn and I bowed our heads in the McDonald's at, uh, in Fillmore this morning, and we prayed. And it wasn't just... Dear Jesus, thank you. It was an honest and not to attract attention from anybody because we're not concerned about that. It's just a matter of, Father, we are really grateful for the provisions that you have given us. We just thank you, Lord, that you do provide. Amen. And the coffee was horrible. <laughs> okay, number two in your notes, the commandment to pray. Do I need to go over this? I don't want to be... I mean, does everybody understand what the, there is a commandment to pray? Number three, the example of prayer. Let me hit that one for a few moments. As I told you a little while ago, when the question comes up, why pray? The answer is, the Bible tells us to. But the answer also is, well, let me ask this question. Is Jesus God? Are you sure? There is so many verses that we don't base that theology, my friend, on one, two, or even three verses of Scripture. God was manifest in the flesh. 
In Ephesians chapter 1, Jesus is actually said to be the creator. You say, well, I don't understand the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what? Light travels at 186,281.7 miles per second. About as fast as my wife drives when she's in a hurry. All right, follow me on this now. This is very important. If light traveled in a circle, it would go around the world seven and a half times in a single second. The universe is so big that we talk about planets and stars out there being what kind of distance? Millions, though, of light years away. Millions of light years away. Now, let me just give you an idea of uh, a little bit about numbers. There's approximately 6,400,776,444 people on the face of this earth. That may have been off by a few people. But I looked it up at the, in the Census Bureau on, on December 29th, and it's over 6 billion. Is that safe enough? You say, how big is 6 billion? Well, Donald Trump knows more than I do about that. But let me give you an idea. There are how many people on the earth? Oh, more than six billion, right? You say, how big of a number is that? If you were to line up all the people on the earth in a line, and you gave each of them about three feet, is that about what you would say would be a, at least a decent line if you're in line at, say, Target? All right. So the guy behind you is approximately center to center, about three feet apart. All right. Here's another guy. Here's another guy. Okay, line up everybody on the earth. Then you get in your car and drive next to him. I don't want you to hit anybody, but just drive next to him, okay? You drive down along this line at 60 miles an hour. How long do you think it will take to pass all the people in the world at 60 miles an hour? How long? Three years. Anybody else want to guess? Take 20.5 years to pass all. That's 60 miles an hour. Wow. Yeah. That's how big a number that is. So when, and, and there's a point to what I'm saying. The universe is so incredibly big, we measured in light traveling at 186,281.7 miles, in a vacuum now, miles per second. And then we measure that in millions of years. May I say it this way? He's a mighty big God. So if God, the Bible says there's only one God. Fair enough? But there are three gods. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I don't believe there's three gods. I believe there's only one God. But I believe that the Father is God, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Folks, all I'm trying to do is say, I haven't the foggiest idea how God is put together. If he says, I am three, I'm going to go, I believe you. If he says, I am one, I want to say, I believe that too. You say, it doesn't make any sense. The moment a human being tries to reason God, he's lost out immediately. Well, now you're getting into reasoning, and I'm not trying to reason. I'm trying to say, I don't know, nor do you, and nor does your pastor know how God's put together. So what I have to do is simply say, what he's given me in the Bible to reason, I will reason. What he has not given me... Okay, the point now is not how God is put together. The point is, you and I don't have the ability to reason most things in life. The answer to so many of it is let God be God. That's why I don't have to worry anymore about how God's put together. I don't have to try to defend God because there are some people that say there are basically two parts to the Trinity. 
My brother called me from Alaska the other day. He said, I'm reading that there's a Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit isn't real. Then there's somebody that says, I believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And there's somebody that believes that the Father is the Son, the Son is the Father, the Father is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the Father, and the Son, and so forth. And after a while, I'm going... And of course, then the legitimate thing is, who do we pray to if there's only one God? Anybody see where I'm going on this? All right. And the point I'm trying to make is, don't get upset. You don't know how he's put together, and I don't know how he's get together. I just know this. When I come to him, I'm coming to him because of Jesus. So I believe that it's legitimate, as Jesus would say, when you pray, how do you pray? I believe it's, it's right to say, our Father who art in heaven. Now, I don't know if this crosses theology, but you can help me on this. There are days when I pray, dear Jesus. I don't have any problem with that. Do you? There's days when I pray, Holy Spirit, help me. You say, when's that? When I am on a California freeway and it is just nothing but jammed up. It's I need your help, Holy Spirit. The point again, when you go to prayer, don't let the Trinity, don't let the lack of it, however you believe, bother you. When you are in Jesus, the Father hears you immediately. There's even a legalism sometimes that goes something like this. If you don't actually say Jesus of Nazareth, you will maybe get the wrong Jesus. Anybody heard that before? Well, you get the Holy Holy Ghost is the Holy Spirit. So, uh, and you feel free to ask questions. It's just that the point I want to make sure you get on this one is we're not discussing doctrine. We're discussing the fact that God is so beyond our imagination. We can't comprehend him. But follow this now. God's, how many would say the universe is incredibly big as I just described? Because you recognize that yourself. Now, follow me on this one. We were created in his image and in his... And I'm going to say, there's something about our value to God, I believe, that's far beyond any of us could understand. My friend, you are incredibly... I'm not saying this just to impress you. This is the truth. You, no, not just the person sitting next to you. You are incredibly valuable to God. You. See, I don't feel that way. That's because in the soul realm, your mind has been affected. In the spirit realm is where we know. I believe the scriptures. Therefore, the scriptures tell me in my spirit that I'm important to God. And there's a witnessing in my spirit. I know that. I somehow, I don't feel it every day. I know I'm valuable to God. Okay, just a little bit more. No, not a little bit more. Um, Let's take a real fast break. We're going to come back and do elements of prayer or we'll do something.